Well, please take your Bibles this morning and turn to the first chapter in the New Testament. The very first one, Matthew chapter 1. And as you are turning, I would just like to share a a, a quick hello. I don't often do this, but I'd like to do this this morning uh, to our radio audience. Uh, There's people all along all along the west coast here that are listening to this service right now, or even on delayed fashion, you're listening to this sermon. I would like to say, whether you're in Brookings or Eureka or Klamath Falls, or maybe you're down in Fresno and Bakersfield, uh, wherever you are today and you've tuned in your radio, we pray that God will encourage you with his word today, and we're so thankful that you've turned, tuned in to, to listen to God's word this morning. So, over the next couple weeks... We'll be enjoying the Advent season by considering Christmas from different perspectives. If you remember, last year we started this kind of mini-study. We looked at Christmas from different perspectives, which I absolutely love doing. I love to put myself, my, my imagination goes, so I like to put myself in their sandals. What were they experiencing? Last year we walked through the, the context of life of the shepherds. What were they experiencing? The angels, if you remember. What were they experiencing through the incarnation, through the birth of Jesus Christ? And then, with some delay in the story, what were the wise men experiencing? Well, this year, we're going to focus on two primary individuals, key in this story. People that God used. People of humble means that God did amazing things through. And I will just, just insert right now, people of humble means just like you and me. Now, we are sinners saved by God's grace, reminding ourselves each and every day that we are dependent on Almighty God. That is Joseph and Mary. So for the next two weeks, we're going to place ourselves in the lives of Joseph and Mary. Today, we're going to jump into the life of Joseph, and I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to think through these things. These are things we've probably learned since we were little ones. And today what we're going to do is just kind of connect the dots in the life of Joseph, and we're going to really focus in on this key idea for the next two weeks, really. Here it is. Through the tensions of life, God's people are called to completely trust God's plan. I'll say that one more time. Uh, It's on your handout. If you want to print that off on the web, you can. Uh, But here it is. Through the tensions of life, God's people are called to completely trust God's plan. Okay, this is right in line with the entire study we've had on looking to Jesus. But now we're seeing this from the life of two individuals, Joseph and Mary. And I want to start by zeroing in on those three words. Tensions of life. What comes to mind when you think of the word tension? Maybe you just got tense thinking about the word tension. (laughs) Thanks, Pastor Andrew, for ruining my nice, relaxed Sunday morning on my couch. But then, when we think about tension, you know, sometimes I'll just go back to the good old faithful Daniel Webster's dictionary and see what some of these words mean. And I love how he describes, defines tension. Here it is. Tension is the act or action of stretching. That's how he describes it. You're stretched. It is the condition or degree of being stretched. 
And so the question is, have you ever felt stretched? Uh, this stretching might reveal itself in our lives through different phases, um, different terms, different phrases, but we, we might regularly use one of these. And maybe you've used some of these even this week. Have you used these? Saying this in conversation, uh, please forgive me. You're just going to have to forgive me. I'm just a little stressed out right now. You use that this week maybe? I'm a little stressed out right now. That's tension. That's being stretched. Maybe you've used this phrase. You know, the pressure in my life has just been building up recently. Maybe you've said this, even this week. I'm sorry, I'm just carrying a bit of a burden right now. That's how sometimes we, we talk about this tension in our lives. Or maybe this one. I really think I'm this close, this close. And here's the magic word, to burn out. <laughs> you ever heard that? Maybe you've used that. Maybe you use that this week at your job, with your family, whatever life situation you're going through right now, you've used this and you realize very quickly that you're in the midst of this tension. And if you're not going through something right now, very likely sometime this last year, we're talking about 2020, you've gone through some sort of tension like this. If you could sympathize with any of these statements on tension, talking about being stressed or pressured or carrying a burden or burnout, then guess what? You're not alone. Uh, newsgallop.com. In their pre-COVID poll, I love this, they say 8 in 10 Americans right now are going through high-stress situations every day. Okay, that was pre-COVID. 8 in 10 Americans would admit to the fact that every day is a tension day. Every day is a day of stress. Practically, this tension comes to us, even in this room, and maybe at home, in different flavors. Some might be going through relational tensions. What do I mean? Well, you know that person that's coming to your mind right now. They're around that person, tension overflows like a, a volcano. Every text, every phone call, you know tension's going to happen. Relational tension. What about financial tension? Oh, Pastor Andrew, why did you have to bring that up? I worked hard to lay that burden down before the sermon. You know that bill that's coming into your mind right now. That's tension. Knowing that Christmas season is here, you have a bill due, and it's yeah, presents for the family, or put that bill, or pay that bill. You know. Maybe it's not relational financial or financial tension for you, maybe it's a physical tension, that pain that just flared up in your body just now when I mentioned physical tension. <laughs> you know what it is. Maybe it's emotional tension. Maybe it's that fear that just popped into your head again. Maybe it's related to the political climate of the world we live in right now. Maybe it's related to the health crisis that's being promoted by many every single day. I would think that most of us have been to the point of tensions that are so strong, and maybe you know this, maybe this is where you're at right now, that that knot won't leave your gut alone. Have you ever been there? No matter how hard you try, that knot won't leave your gut. Maybe it's so strong that that throbbing won't leave your head alone. 
And maybe those tears won't leave your eyes alone. Maybe that, that's the emotional tension that you're working through right now. So if this in any way is you, or has been you, or you know someone that is in this situation, then you can truly identify well, I believe, as you look through the text of scriptures, with a certain simple life, tough as nails, hard-working mountain man introduced to us in the first chapter of the New Testament. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Joseph. This guy. This tension that we just explained. Sometimes when we fly through this text, which this text in Scripture is the one that gives us the most information about Joseph, the carpenter. This text, Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. And sometimes we fly through this text and we fail to put ourselves in the position of Joseph. What was this guy going through? And I'm going to tell you, I think that that. Not in his stomach, those tears to his eyes, that pain in his head were all indicative of very possibly what Joseph was going through in this text. So this morning, would you read with me? It's on the back of your handout. It's also um, in your Bibles or on your devices. But would you join me as I read verses 18 through 25 this morning? Here it is. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. I want to read that one more time. You, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And now we have two verses of commentary from Matthew, as typical of what he does all the way through the book. Here's his two verses of commentary. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now we continue with the story, verse 24. uh, 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, in an intimate way, knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And, And here it is, I love this. And he called his name Jesus. All right, I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, I memorized this whole passage when I was a little kid. You fly through the, Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1. You hear this over and over again, and you just fly through the life of Joseph. There are some dynamic statements in here about this man, Joseph. And so, when we look at this passage, I want us to consider those today. 
first let's do this. Who is, who is this man Joseph? Let's just think about this. Contextually, who is this dude? Well, uh, we find clues in traditional writing, but more reliably in the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. And we find this. He was a man born into the family line of Abraham and David. Matthew so succinctly promotes this in his book. By the Holy Spirit, Matthew connects this dynamic genealogy and he calls Joseph very clearly the son of whom? <coughs> David. That's very important. <coughs> I think this is also very clear in Luke's writing. Luke explains Joseph this way in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. You know this well. Luke says this. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea. We find a lot about Joseph in this one verse. Chapter 2, verse 4 of Luke. To the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Okay, so this, if it's mentioned several times, is probably a pretty important part of the story in the life of Joseph. This ancestry thing was a really, really, really big deal in this Jewish culture. Joseph, if you think about his life, he was a modest man who had an impressive pedigree that connected him not only to the patriarch Abraham, from whose seed uh, all nations of the world would be blessed, if you remember back to Genesis 12 and 15, all the way through that text, but he was also connected to David. And David was the one who had a right to the Jewish throne. A throne that was temporary put on, temporarily put on hold by the oppressive rule of other nations. Particularly at this time, who was the heretical regional king? Well, it was Herod. But who had the right? The real right. I mean, if you were a Jewish person and you saw the rule of Herod, you'd be looking at this guy and saying, he's a fake. He's an imposter. And you knew that scattered through Israel were ones that had the right to that throne. And one of those men, among others, was Joseph, a modest mountain man worker who lived in Nazareth. When you think about his life, he was a hardworking carpenter. We find that through the scriptures in our minds. He was an amazing woodworker. That's how we like to think of Joseph. That's how traditions talk to, to us about him. In our minds, we, uh, we think about this guy. There was a fellow, a painter in uh, the 16th, 17th century, 1620, circa 1620, and he was consumed with painting Joseph in this carpenter scenario. This is him. His name was uh, Garrett von Hornthorst. <laughs> He, he was consumed with painting this. And so in our minds, we get this picture of Joseph the carpenter working with wood. But that's not necessarily the whole story of Joseph. <coughs> in this scenario, in this time, in this culture, a carpenter was a trader who was a gifted, uh, who was gifted in both rock and wood construction, if you just say something. In masonry work. This would be like your general contractor. He was good at making a plan and seeing it work. I'm going to say that one more time. Making a plan and putting it together. 
When I think about Joseph's life as a carpenter, he was skilled at making things fit together. I'm going to tell you, that is his entire life. If you put a character sketch of Joseph, you're going to see a guy that wanted all the pieces of the puzzle lined out perfectly in his life. Uh, That's why this text, Matthew chapter 1, rocked Joseph's world. All of these things neatly lined up in his life, it didn't make sense. Joseph lived a simple life in Nazareth. He was Nazareth. He was a, a mod, he had a modest home, uh, indicating he was a man with some means, indicating that very possibly he was good at saving money, good at acquiring uh, some means. He worked in the area. He found his niche in that community in Nazareth. Well, Nazareth. What about Nazareth? Well, you find people, even in this time period, they didn't know much at all about Nazareth. A somewhat insignificant and even undesirable mountainous town. Um, this is cool. It's about 20 miles across the Jezreel Valley. And guess what is in that valley? The, that's the Valley of Megiddo. Jesus was raised right there by Megiddo. Um, there's a lot that we could say about that. Mount Carmel to the west, Megiddo to the southwest. That's where Jesus was raised. Nazareth was a sub-level town in Jewish history. Really, a decent place, but definitely not one you would vacation to. Hey, where are we going this year? Not to Nazareth. That's a place off the beaten trail, and you had to work to get there. And when you got there, it was kind of like its own community. It was its own mountain community with its own kind of subculture happening. People would definitely not think about Nazareth as the place we want to go relocate to. Joseph, in this story, very clearly, was betrothed to Mary. All right, what about this? Joseph, who was most likely a a midlife man. Some speculate, and the tradition says, uh, later on, tradition says he was older in his life, 50, 60 year old. I, I tend to think he was much younger than that. He was a man that had a plan for his life. He held off on marriage for some time. Uh, He developed his carpentry work, his masonry work, until the right time, and God blessed him with a a betrothed wife who at that time would most likely have been mid-teens. Very possibly Joseph watched his wife grow up. Kind of interesting, but in that culture, that was how things would work. This betrothal was similar. I mean, you think about this betrothal. What is betrothal? He was betrothed. Well, it's similar to present-day engagement, but just much, much, much bigger deal. The process was longer, it was more formal, and it was more binding. That's what betrothal was. So in our minds, we want to tie it to an engagement. Yeah, it's like an engagement, but it's like an engagement on steroids or on turbo, okay? It's a big deal. Lasting for a good amount of time, a year, potentially more, potentially less. Betrothal was a time of marriage preparation that did not include marriage intimacy and could only, though, be broken through a formal written divorce, or spoken even, divorce. A meeting of divorcement. It was essentially a contract of families that brought two together. It was a big deal. And to break this was even a, a bigger deal. Joseph, I love this because in chapter 1, verse 19 of Matthew, it says something very neat about Joseph's character. Did you catch this? Joseph being what kind of a man? 
He was a just man. And how we see that is very practically, he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. And think about this. He sought to be fair, and he lived with high standards of uprightness as he faithfully lived out his worship to Yahweh. Even in this insignificant place of Nazareth, we know it had a synagogue. Jesus himself read in that synagogue, if you remember the life of Jesus and his ministry, he was there. There was a group of people that gathered, and I believe that Joseph, for some time, was very influential in that Nazareth community in worshiping Yahweh. He had a good reputation, especially in Luke's writing. We're in Matthew, but in Luke's writing, Luke takes special care to show that Joseph followed the instruction of the Torah. He was obedient to God. This fits right in line with the character sketch of Joseph. All of the pieces of the puzzle together. He had in line his worship of God. He had in line his work scenario. He had now in line his relational life. His wife is set up. His life is set up. And he is well on to his way to the happiness of the Lord living in an insignificant place of Nazareth where he could hide away and live his life. That is Joseph. I mean, if you think about this, is a very decent man. I mean, I have four daughters myself. But if, if you, I like to think of it in terms of this. If you were a father with an eligible daughter in Nazareth, this man with morals, with character, with a good work ethic, would definitely be someone you would be happy for your daughter to marry. This is a good guy. That's the character sketch of Joseph. When we think about Joseph and what he's going to, we have to keep these things in mind. However, this decent man, Joseph, he was going through the stretching of his life. Tension. I mean, when we think about this tension, we find it very clearly in verses 18 and 19. Would you look with me at verses 18 and 19 again? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, every single word in these verses matter. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, Not only is this important in the whole doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, which is foundational to our entire soteriology. Any Christology is this, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But in a very practical sense, we find here there's some emotions happening. Verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So just a minute ago, we talked about tensions in our own lives, coming in different flavors. What were the flavors that happened in the life of Joseph? What was he going through right now? Well, let's think about some of these tensions. Even in terms of a spiritual tension going on in his life. What's the spiritual tension that Joseph's going through? Well, think about this. If you were a worshiper of God in Israel, what was the nagging question right now in this time of, uh, period of history? Here it is. Will Yahweh keep his word and provide a Messiah? Okay, that's not just Joseph's question. That's any worshiper of God in Israel right now. Well, is God really God? And is God really good? And is God really going to provide his Messiah? Think about this, especially in terms of the history of Israel. 
It's been some 40 years, or sorry, 400 years since God has formally spoken to his people uh, through prophets. Think about that. We call them in, in history the 400 silent years. Have you heard of those? And here we have this 400 silent years being broken to Mary and Joseph. And in Joseph's mind, he's constantly like, okay, my whole life has been given to following the Torah, being a good worshiper of God, traveling the 70, uh, 70 miles to worship God in Jerusalem. And we know he did that. My life is structured to worship God. And here's the nagging question, spiritual tension in his life. Is this God worth worshiping? Think about this. He's, he's taught, he reads through Abraham's life. If he's studying through the Torah, he reads <coughs> excuse me, through Abraham's life. And he sees in Abraham's life how you will be blessed in the land. Where is Joseph living? He's in the land. He's waiting for God's blessing. And now the woman of his dreams. She's pregnant? And I haven't been with her? God, really? You told us through Joshua to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Then my way will be a great success. You told us that, God. I'm going to tell you. This is the tension, the real life tension that Joseph's going through. It's, it's not fabricated. When it says in this passage that Joseph thought on these things, these are some of the things I believe he would have thought about. Is God really good? Is God really God? And I will say, if we really dig deep into the questions of our own hearts, sometimes when we go through tension, that is what Satan wants us to ask. Is God really God? Is God really good? Joseph's tension was spiritual. Joseph's tension was relational. I guess this is rather obvious. Here's his dilemma. Joseph was engaged. He was betrothed to a woman, and she was pregnant. And he hadn't been with her. Okay, so the appearance of infidelity was undeniable. To a man that had a pristine reputation... How would he handle this? Well, verse 19 said he was resolved to divorce her quietly. He had the right to accuse her publicly, and actually if he was a follower of the Torah, he had the right to stone her with the community. Her and the guy he was with. And so what is he consumed with? Finding the guy he was with, she was with. This is not right. When he considered these things, these are on his mind, but rather than make her a public example and shame he was compelled to resolve, he was resolved to divorce her quietly. And, and that's very important. He was resolved. This is what I'm going to do. In my life where everything fits together so perfectly, here's the resolve. We're done. We are done. That's Joseph. This, to me, would have been the worst part of the entire tension. The relational part. Why? This Joseph had grown, I believe, to love this woman. He had watched her grow up. He thought and he prayed diligently about this. He'd talked to her dad. He'd set up his whole life looking to marry this woman. He had invested time in building a house and dreaming of a wonderful life together with this Mary. 
I don't want to read too much into the story, but in this kind of a culture, that's what you would do. As a carpenter, he would go work on other people's home so he could go to his own home and build his own home. And he would find himself as he's building rooms, thinking and dreaming about maybe, maybe this part of the house we could put toward the family together. He had dreamed of this starting a family with this woman, I would imagine. Now, she was pregnant? How could she? I mean, that's what's going on in his mind. In this tension, this spiritual tension, this relational tension, I think directly moved into a deep emotional tension in his life. The emotions that were, Joseph tried to cage the rage. You know what it's like? Oh, you just want to explode. I, I bet there was rocks in Joseph's house that he punched. Because he was so mad. There was hills he walked around to and just yelled. You've probably been there. The feelings of betrayal, confusion, uncertainty, hurt, anger. That knot in his stomach, that ache in his head, those tears in his eyes. Just like we started off talking about that tension sometimes in our own lives. Joseph's tension, though, was also, if you think about this, was very social. What kind of a place did he live? A small town. Guess how long it took for word to travel in this small town? Like two seconds. <laughs> it spread. What was Joseph's network for his occupation? All of these people in this town, he'd set up a pretty good work base, employment base. He would fix these people's houses. Oh, man, we need to build another room onto our, our, our small house. Who do we go to? Go to Joseph. He's a good carpenter. He had set up this work base in his life. Now these people were looking for other people to do their work. Why? Because this guy is a fake. He's a fraud. He's engaged to a woman who's adulterous. And he's trying to deny that he was part of this because very possibly people would think Joseph's lying. Joseph's tension was definitely social. To anyone and everyone who observed and evaluated the scenario, Mary clearly appeared to be unfaithful, and unless Joseph took legal action against her, he could have also been to blame. Basically, through this situation, Joseph's moral integrity was marred. Joseph's good reputation, his good name, was drugged through the mud. No matter how you slice or dice the situation, he was now seen as partnering with a sinner. And for a worshiper of God who followed diligently the ways of the Torah, he was stuck in the small mountain town where secrets lasted two seconds, he was facing or about to face rejection, ridicule, mocking. His family would shun him. His business would shun him. His business would suffer, and he would be looking at some sort of relocation for employment. So when the passage says here that he considered these things, it means a lot. He was thinking diligently about his next step. I mean, I think, I think we have an indication. I'll just kind of give an indication of what we might look at next week a little bit. But think about where Joseph and Mary went to. Uh, to Bethlehem, the city of David. 
What happened when they got there? The scripture is very clear in Luke. There was no room for them in the inn, right? Remember this? Okay, I was going to say this. It is not abnormal in that culture for tons of people to visit a town and you found a place for people to live. You stayed with family. That in mentality in our minds, we have them going and knocking on the door with a no vacancy sign, that kind of thing. That's not this culture, and I'm not trying to speculate in any way. I honestly believe what's happening in Bethlehem is the word traveled. You're Joseph and Mary. They're betrothed. But guess what? She's pregnant. Word travels all the way from Nazareth, this this tiny town, all the way into Bethlehem. As people travel to Bethlehem, word travels to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the end. Guess what? I think exactly what's happening is rather than saying, you know, that room you normally stay in, that room, that family place where you can stand, you're not staying there. Why? Because you're acting like the animals, so go live where the animals are. Go out in the cave. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a big deal to Joseph. His whole reputation's marred. This tension's a big problem for him. And he is considering these things. And I will say, just like you and me sometimes in our lives, this tension is so strong. And what are we going to do with this tension? Well, I love it because I believe in this text, we find clear indication of how Joseph handled his tension. I think we can take the next 10 minutes and look at a couple of these reasons, these clues. We'll, we'll, we'll travel right into the life of Mary because we see next week how she handled these tensions. But how is Joseph handling these tensions? Would you look with me at Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23? And we'll read these one more time. Because how Joseph handled his tensions were, was this. He took God at his word. Okay, let's see that in verses 20 to 23. Actually, I'll just read 20 and 21 for now. But while he thought about these things, in other words, while he was heavy, while this was heavy on his mind, he couldn't get this nagging problem off out of his head. It wouldn't stop bothering him, as naturally would be the case. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then I I just want to quickly highlight this, because Matthew brings in the Word of God. I believe very intentionally from the Holy Spirit. Matthew says, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What is Matthew doing? He's connecting God's word in the Old Testament to what's happening in the life of Joseph. That God is guiding his people through his word. That's, I believe, what Joseph is, what's, what Matthew is writing here. In order, what is this whole thing happening? In order to comfort and direct God, uh, Joseph, God intervened in an amazing way. God graciously spoke to Joseph through one of his angels. God graciously revealed his plan to Joseph. And here's the simple point. Through this tension, Joseph chose to take God at his word. Let's grasp that. 
Joseph chose to trust that God's word was true, God's word was reliable, God's word was truly worth believing. I believe this was a battle in the life of Joseph. Am I really going to believe God's word? Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends, this is so appropriate for us today. Through the tension of our lives, we are daily confronted with the same decision. And here's the decision. Will I truly take God at His word? Will I really trust the word of God? Now we know that at our place in redemptive history, please grasp this. At our place in redemptive history, we can be assured that God is not going to send us an angel to speak new revelation to us in a dream. That's not going to happen to you tonight through your tension. This is not normative for the life of a New Covenant believer. However, we have a clearer word of truth. Get, grasp this, please, with me. The clear word of reassurance. And what is that? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. It is the tried and tested word of God preserved for us in written form. Just like Matthew brings up God's word in the Old Testament to reassure, Joseph, to reassure us as readers. A passage that Joseph truly would have interacted with. Guess what? We are to interact with God's word every day and to fully trust that God has a plan as revealed to us through his word. So through the tensions of life, we, mu- we will truly trust God's word, or will we truly trust God's word, I should say. Think about this. Let me just make this very practical. You're sitting on your couch there. How is this practical for you? Well, the question is this. When our loved one unexpe- unexpectedly passes from this life to the next, will we take God at his word and trust that God is always good? Spent some time this week, a couple of our elders speaking with Benita Holloway with the passing of Ron last week. A woman that's holding tightly to God's word right now. When we lose our business because of a governor-mandated shutdown, will we take God at his word and trust that he is actively working his glorious plan even when we don't, it doesn't make sense to us? when the elections don't pan out out the way we think they should and the way we prayed for all these months? Will we take God at his word and realize that he has never lost control? In cultural issues, catch this, in in the life we're living right now, in our culture, such a, a morally depraved culture that ignores God in so many ways. In this culture, when we are ridiculed for not joining the so-called gender revolution, the sexual revolution, will we take God at His word and realize that God's design is intentional? When we are badgered into thinking that a baby's life doesn't matter and that baby fetuses are nothing more than trash, Will we take God at his word and realize that every human being is a gift from Almighty God? When we're surrounded by a culture that says morality doesn't matter, will we live in integrity to God and his word with every decision we make? Brothers and sisters, that's where the rubber meets the road. When when tension hits our lives, 
when we're tempted to doubt that there's a God and that if there's a good God, we are to run to his word just like Joseph and take God at his word. But it's more than just taking God at his word mentally. And I want to run quickly to this as we close out. Complete trust in God through tension demands taking God at his word, but it also requires enduring steps of obedience. Think about this. Another way of putting this is complete trust in God means that we obey and we obey and we obey and we obey. Even when the going gets tough, complete trust or true faith will lead to loyal obedience. That's what true faith is. That is what complete trust is. Is complete trust is seen in the life we live now. <clears throat> Along with Joseph, we must realize that trust is more than just an acknowledgement of a neat truth. It is a transformation of the entire life. Think about what's happening in Joseph's life. Think about this. This angel comes to Joseph and he's thinking, okay, that's cool. No, 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 that's not where the story ends. Now Joseph is confronted with one choice after another. Guess what? This story, Joseph had to get out of bed the next day after this dream. Guess what? He had to open up the door to this house he's providing for him and Mary. Guess what? He had to look eye to eye with some of his friends that were looking at him in shame. Like, come on, Joseph, stop lying. Come on, Joseph, get rid of that woman. And he had to man up and live for God every single day. He had to make that choice. I mean, verses 24 and 25 tell us a couple clues of how Joseph obeyed. Here it is. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Every single phrase of these two verses indicate that Joseph obeyed and obeyed and obeyed and obeyed. Four statements about Joseph's obedience. He had the choice to make when he, opened that, when he woke from sleep and opened that door. Am I going to obey God today? And we find in this text that he not only took God at his word, but it translated into active steps of obedience. Joseph trusted God and took Mary for his wife. Joseph trusted God and refrained from intimacy until after Jesus was born. Joseph trusted God and named the child Jesus. Think about that one for a minute. Firstborn son into your life. Joseph having his life all lined out and he couldn't wait for his firstborn son. Maybe you're going to take this name, this namesake and carry it on. Proud to be Joseph's son. And now you're calling his name Jehovah is salvation? That's a pretty drastic step. Joseph. More that can be said about that, but as you continue in the story, just think about beyond this text in Joseph's life. Joseph trusted God and he protected Jesus with all of his life and resources. Think about this. Going to Bethlehem with his means. Beyond that, uh, traveling from Bethlehem to where? Egypt. To protect Jesus. That's not an easy trip. And this Joseph was fully engaged 
in protecting Jesus with all of his means. And actually, this is really cool because as you think about the life of Joseph, all of these things that he built up in his life, all of these means, he was given away to the cause of Jesus. But then this is super cool because then God Almighty provides reassurance to Joseph. I mean, Joseph is teaching and showing Jesus, God in the flesh, God incarnate. He's teaching him. And the scripture tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. Who's, he, who's his primary teacher? Joseph. Joseph showing him the Torah, showing him the ways of God. Showed him how to do these type of things. Sometimes we think Jesus walked around with a halo everywhere. No, he was a real kid. Sinless nonetheless, the scripture tells us, but a real dude. And Joseph was showing them how to live the life of Jesus. Uh, a life for worship for Yahweh, I should say. Um, think about those reassurances, by the way. What did, what did God Almighty do to reassure Joseph along the way? We're going to see some of these reassurances in Mary's life next week. What would you have done? You've been bantered this entire time, and now you're taking this trip with a pregnant woman down to Bethlehem, and you get there and barely get there, and she has her child. What would you do? When the baby's born, you lay this baby in a manger, and you're like, that just does not fit my life plan. It's a little infant in a little manger. That's for the animals, not for Jesus. And Joseph's just struggling with this. What would you do, though, when all of a sudden at the cave entrance, the stable entrance, a couple dudes poke their head around the corner and say, hey, where's the one that's born king of the Jews? What would you do when the shepherds came and said, you're not going to believe what just showed up to us out in that field out there? The angel of the Lord came to us. What would you do if you were Joseph? I'm going to tell you what I would do. Tears would be streaming down my eyes as I look at Mary and say, Mary, it's true. Jesus is reassuring us. God is reassuring us. These guys are here to worship Jesus. Through all of the nightmare we've lived, God's word is true. We acted in obedience to him, and he's revealed himself to us through these shepherds. What would you do if you were Joseph and Mary, and you walked into the temple, and you're kind of like nervous about this whole thing because you know your reputation's been marred, and you walk into this temple, and all of a sudden a dude named Simeon picks up the baby, and then Anna picks up the baby and says, this is the promised one to Israel. You'd be nudging each other saying, oh, What's happening? What would you do when you're at your home in Bethlehem and these rich dudes show up? And Joseph's at the end of his means. He's lived in this house for a couple of years. He's trying to find work in Bethlehem. And after two years, what are we doing? We can't really go back to Nazareth. And all of a sudden, a couple of dudes show up at his house. These magi. And they give gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Can you imagine nudging each other and saying, well, I wondered where the next meal was coming from. <laughs> Thank you, God. And then God showing up that night in a dream and saying, get up and get going. Hey, can you imagine me, Joseph? Yep. And guess what? We have the means to get to Egypt now. That was the life of this man, Joseph. When you think about Joseph's life, he was a man who was demanded to take God at his word, and it required for him one step of obedience after another. Obey and obey and obey today. It's doing the next right thing. Just like for you and me. It doesn't make sense. 
I put there a little section, the even, even when section on your notes. Even when feelings of fear seem to be crippling. We know in the text it says, the angel said, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. But beyond that, even when God's word doesn't make complete sense at the time. Imagine being Joseph trying to process this statement. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You're like, man, I know I was sleeping hard in that dream, but really that hard? (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Guess what? That's what our Christianity is based on. Something that we can't completely figure out, but that God did. We are to endure in obedience to God even when God's word doesn't make complete sense at the time. Even when God's word says to love your neighbor as yourself. To love those who hurt you, curse you, bless them and curse you, do good to them, and pray for them to spitefully use you. Really, God? Guess what? We take God's word even when it doesn't make complete sense. When it says to not forsake worship and gathering, and finding ways to connect with believers, even through a time of COVID, guess what? It takes trusting God. I'm, I'm not trying to implicate anybody that hasn't been able to be here, but I'm telling you, there are ways you need to connect and worship, even when it doesn't make sense. We are to endure in obedience to God, even when obedience takes inconvenience and extreme effort. Joseph was not embracing an event. He was not just embracing a birth. He was embracing a lifestyle of effort. Taking care of, training, loving, teaching, and protecting the Son of God. So what? We've talked about different so what's as we've gone through this character sketch of Joseph today. So what? Here's a question. Will you, sitting there on your couch today, Will you take God at his word even when, se- when, when fear seems to cripple you right now? Political fear, financial fear, social fear, uh, health fear, physical fear. Even when it doesn't make complete sense right now for you to obey God's word, will you take God at his word? Even when some around you are saying, don't believe that nonsense, that's an unreliable book. Will you hold on to the truth, the word of God, with all you have, brother and sister in Christ? Through the tension of your life right now, will you endure in obedience to God's word? Not just embracing it mentally. Not just saying, I know God's in control and God has this. But guess what? Taking active steps in obedience to Almighty God today and tomorrow and the next day. Doing the next right thing. Even when obedience is not convenient, even when obedience takes extreme effort, even when obedience leads to you to a path of potential hurt, God's got you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here at Cross Point Community Church, in this place of worship and at your home right now, wherever you're logging on, this week let us pray that we would be reminded of this. Through the tensions of life, God's people are called to completely trust God's plan. 
So God, that's the prayer of our hearts. Thank you so much for the testimony of this man, Joseph. God, a man who didn't expect this, didn't wish this, but embraced your call in his life. A man who chose to take you at his word, at your word, and a man that chose to take one step of obedience after another as you protected and you guarded and guided him. Oh God, what a picture in the life of Joseph of our entire life of sanctification. If we take you at your word and take one step of obedience after another, And I pray today, God, that you would so encourage every single listener. Please use this text of Scripture to remind us every day of your goodness and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the music team's getting set uh, for one last Christmas song, we're not done until we sing one last one. We're going to sing a bit about joy, joy to the world. Uh, just a couple words about next week. If you are symptom-free, would you join us? Uh, we, we'll plan to meet back here at 1015, um, just with, as with other sicknesses in this world. Will you remain hygiene vigilant? Not neglecting the necessary gathering, though, of believers. Pray that God would give you the grace as you work through this and as you not neglect the gathering of the believers. Uh, Next week, we'll continue on with this thought of trusting God through tension, and we'll look at the life of Mary, the perspective of Mary. Um, Lastly, this, please remain faithful to God. On behalf of the elders, just say this, please remain faithful to God uh, in your normal sharing of your resources. Now, we're not gathered here today to share, but uh, you have opportunities to share online. The offices will be open. Um, There are ways you can share of your resources, and then... uh, We'll pray that God gives grace this week as we live for him. Would you stand?